Welcome to Megaminds, the podcast that unlocks the secrets needed to scale your business from seven figures per year to seven figures per month and beyond. On the show, we pick the brains of leading business owners, marketing geniuses, growth experts, and serial entrepreneurs, tapping into their minds to uncover the true formula for e-commerce success. The podcast is created by Megaphone, Australia's award-winning experts in digital marketing. Now enjoy the episode and don't forget to subscribe. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Megaminds. I'm really excited to talk about a topic today that I'm super passionate about, which is hiring. How do you get the perfect people for your company? Whether it's the first person you're hiring, who is it? How do you go about it? If it's the 100th person, who do you hire? How do you think about management structure, scaling, hiring, attracting the best talent, keeping them happy? If you're even looking for a role, how do you find the perfect role for you? And how do you get that perfect role? So today we're really gonna be unpacking a lot about hiring. Of course, I'm with Evan. Who's here with me right now? Good to be here. Looking forward to diving into this. It's certainly a beast of a topic. I'm sure I'll load a lot by the end of it. Awesome. So yeah, let's jump in. All right, Max. So first of all, just to give the listeners a bit of context, you're the founder of Megaphone and of Sylvie. So you've got plenty of experience dealing with hiring people. How many employees do you have at each of those businesses as of today? So Megaphone's now at 94 people globally and Sylvie is at eight people. Awesome. So before I ask you some questions regarding the specifics of how and who and when to hire, I'd love to get an overall sense of how you perceive people in terms of importance compared to other factors in business. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it's incredibly important. Like it'd be one of the most important things. I think that different businesses, it's even more important. Like every business, it's incredibly important. But for Megaphone, it's especially incredibly important because our product is people. And so, you know, with Sylvie, we obsess over product and we do, you know, take us a year of product development to make one product so far. But our product is people. So if we want to have the best product, we need to have the best people. If we want to have the best ideas, we need the best people. It's important. When you're looking to hire these people, how do you feel about personality as opposed to skills and experience? How do you rank those certain attributes and what stands out to you when you're looking to bring on talent? Yeah, I'd say like a common hiring mistake that I've seen or when people move into a hiring role is they overweight skills and they overweight the resume and that can be valuable and it can be important and there are some roles if you're hiring a programmer you know they need to have a baseline of programming skills so skills do matter and they matter more for specific roles but i think fundamentally the thing that's always going to matter the most is the attitudes so is this person that's driven to learn that wants to be amazing at their role that fits into the culture you know that's growth orientated all those things because that person will continue to develop that person will be someone that will be enjoyable to work with and those people ultimately can provide so much more value over the long term. And how would you go about finding those people? Because it's hard sometimes to get a sense of the person in such a short span of time. Maybe you have one interview over the phone, maybe you have an interview face-to-face as well, but how can you really assess that ambition and that determination before actually giving them a chance? Yeah, so it's tricky. And I think there's there's definitely some things that we've built into our hiring system to try to do that. I mean, firstly, just good questions. So you might just say like, what's something that you've been interested in? You know, how did you approach trying to get better at it? And leave it a little bit more open-ended just to see if it naturally comes to where their personality likes to lie. You know, I know Elon Musk in one of the things that I watched about him talking about hiring, he asked really open questions like, tell me a life story. And you, you can get a sense from what they choose to highlight in their life story that will indicate how they approach things. I know in your interview, 
uh, when you reached out to me directly, you mentioned the Sugaton podcast, which funnily enough, we realized I indirectly gave you that recommendation. But I thought that that was really cool because I knew it's a very technically minded podcast and, and it shows that you've got an interest in like pushing yourself. So, you know, that's level one. And then the next step would be in every interview that we have, we have a challenge. And so the challenge is a way for people to showcase their ability to go above and beyond. So every role can do some level of challenge, right? If you need to be really organized, do they need to proofread? Do they need to get to a tight deadline? If they need to be really creative, can they come up with a creative campaign? And then we also have personality testing and intelligent testing as well to try to see how their mind works and if that's going to be correlated to what we determine to be the attitudes that are going to be correlated to success in that role. That's really interesting that you mentioned the personality and intelligence testing. It's not something that I've come across too much in the past before my days at Megaphone. So what would be the reasons behind you doing those tests? And furthermore, is there any pattern you've found with the personality results? Yeah, so I think that in terms of personality testing, I think that we were looking for correlation. So it's one of those things where we come up with an idea. We're like, hey, maybe certain personalities are better suited for different roles. Mm -hmm. For example, there's been a correlation between extroverts having a higher success at keeping clients on for longer than introverts. Introverts, even if they're getting good results, they're not good at communicating those good results and they're not good at communicating what are they doing next. That's so important in account management. So an extrovert's a lot better at keeping the client in the loop, which is very important. So there are little correlations that we've seen from personality to performance. But, you know, I think the other thing is also looking at the makeup of a team. So in, in a lot of what we do at Megaphone, there's teams in terms of pods. So, you know, there's a bunch of account managers and seniors that all work together to come up with creative briefs and like overall e-commerce or direction for the businesses that we're working with. Mm-hmm. But even in the design team, we're conscious of a diverse set of personalities. I think that we want some people that are maybe technical when it comes to design and some people that are more creative and so you know we might think that you're a little bit more technical for example so you're going to be a little bit more analytical when you think about design whereas other people are going to be a little bit more brand focused and by creating a diversity in teams then you're getting diversity in ideas that cohesively can work together to get really good performance right and those are some great examples but they're also quite specific to the agency environment of megaphone do you think that those virtues correlate it to a broader e-commerce and small business sense or is it a little bit different depending on what industry you're in or what stage of your business you're at yeah definitely so we do the exact same thing for sylvie as well and when we're hiring and so again if someone's going to be doing a role where they're going to be analyzing a bunch of numbers but it's showing up in their personality that they're not into that, then they're not going to like that role. And I know for the first hire that we hired at Sylvie, one of the people that my co-founder really wanted to hire, I was convinced they were going to hate the role and they were not going to be happy in a few months because they were too creative and the role was a little bit too technical, a little bit too on the tools. And so... What was that role? That was essentially like, you know, we don't really have a name for it, but kind of like performance media buyer type of person, essentially scaling our creative testing and looking at the data every day and trying to look at you know a bunch of competitors and just help us with our paid social you know scale it more efficiently so am i right in assuming that the first person you hired at sylvie who you were just speaking about were you looking for someone who was perhaps a little bit less experienced a little bit younger so that you could mold them into the kind of person that could grow with the company yeah i mean i think we're open to finding someone with more experience but from what we've found, I don't know if there are that many people that are really good at what we're doing. Like, and I think that both myself and Ben, you know, my co-founder and Sylvie, having years of experience, having, you know, me scaled an eight-figure company, worked with a lot of companies that have scaled to even as much as over $100 million and been part of that 
process, it's going to be hard to find someone at that skill level, or at least without paying, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, which we can't afford as a startup. So if we happen to find someone that's like, yeah, I've worked, you know, and I scaled this company into nine figures and it's within our salary range. Amazing. But the truth is it's a bit improbable. And there really is a very limited amount of talent that have worked on those type of problems, particularly in Australia. So I think that what it makes sense is to find someone that's really intelligent, really curious, someone that we got along with well, that we're going to enjoy working with and just work with them, build, you know, build it piece by piece and start to teach them what we know so that we can get them, you know, some of that role, you know. Have you found that you've been drawn to hiring like-minded people who have that entrepreneurial background or is that more of a bonus? Would you say it's a bonus or a criteria for you? I wouldn't say it's either. I would say it depends on the role, right? So again, someone that's very entrepreneurially minded isn't necessarily going to be the right role for, you know, whatever it might be. Some roles, you want a diverse set of characters, but also sometimes you want people that just love the role and don't need to necessarily want to be always innovating and doing something new because sometimes the role is relatively straightforward and you're just someone that loves it, that wants to do it really well, that wants to do it really efficiently. Whereas when you're a startup company and every hire that you have is going to probably be doing five roles, then you probably want someone, you know, entrepreneurial because that way they're going to be good at problem solving. They're not going to need a ton of direction because you're going to be too busy putting out fires elsewhere. So within our first four hires at Sylvia, I'd say everyone's relatively entrepreneurial, but probably the least entrepreneurial person would be our logistics manager. But I don't think that she needed to be for that role. I think that she's really good with numbers, Excel, spreadsheets, analysis, all those things. And I think that that's going to support that role most effectively. Yep, totally. So the four people you've got at Sylvia at the moment, you have a media buyer, someone to help scale the ads and the performance. You have the logistics employee. Who? What are the other two? Is that you and Ben or are there two other employees? Yeah, so there's eight total. There's me and Ben who just do whatever we need to do to get the company moving forward. Then there's two people in customer service, which are in the Philippines. And then we have four people in Melbourne. We have a videographer. We have a media buyer, performance analyzer. We have a brand manager. Uh, and then we have a logistics and product developer. And who do you perceive as being perhaps the next four or five people you bring on board? It's hard to say. I think we have to see how the business unfolds. I think like the marketing team is something that we know how to scale because we've already scaled the marketing team at Megaphone. So I think that, and they're also going to probably have the most clear return on investment. Like we can see how that channel is going and by getting more people to support new channels and things like that. So I think that it makes sense that we're going to be building out our marketing team. But, you know, if our product development cycle, which we're starting to produce a lot of product and we feel like that's the biggest opportunity, then maybe we're going to go down there. Maybe. So I think it's a little bit, these roles start to unfold a little bit. And as we feel like we're doing too much in these random areas and we need someone to like fully support that area, that's where the opportunity lies. On a similar note, at what stage do you start thinking about hiring an HR specialist and someone who can help you with this hiring? Because obviously, as the business grows, you have a lot of other fires to put out and there's a lot more on your plate. So is there a size in terms of revenue or people that you start to delegate these sort of responsibilities? Yeah, so I think that Hiring is incredibly important. So if you do start to delegate that, you need to make sure that you're getting someone that you're really confident with that really has a good pulse on the culture and who's been successful in the past and what are your success criteria for people. There isn't a right or wrong answer. Again, you know, for Megaphone, it was around 30 or 40 staff where we started to bring on someone that could help with hiring. And I think by the time we put on someone that was helping with hiring, we were hiring six to eight people a month. So it was starting to get incredibly demanding. And, you know, even just responding to all the people that 
that as a no is like a ton of work. So that becomes really challenging. But yeah, again, I think eventually it's one of those things that you're going to have to let go of as a founder because you need to entrust in other people to do that role well. And so I think it's about finding people that you trust to do that, maybe easing off by just doing last round interviews and then eventually, you know, getting less and less hands on with that process. What do you think is the most challenging thing for people when it comes to hiring? So I'd say the most challenging thing is sourcing really good applicants. And I think we touched on this briefly, but I think there's a lot that we've thought about at Megaphone and Sylvie in thinking through that problem. So for one, like split testing job titles, the different job titles will appeal to different people. There's a reason that we do junior account manager versus account manager versus senior account manager versus marketing manager. We played around with all of these titles. We've looked at the volume of people that we get through. And then we can also look at the percentage of people that we think are reasonably good. So we can actually put an analytical approach to our job ads and then we can also look at different platforms we've got linkedin seek pedestrian we do facebook ads we have like a constant ad that's running as a facebook ad and then we can retarget people from our careers page to our current live pages we can also open up the ability to get more applicants by opening up more offices when we have sydney and brisbane and melbourne now we've got three locations that we can hire for so we could triple our talent pool that are applying for the same roles so there's a lot of things to be thinking about and then there's obviously the job description, being really clear on what is something that would be really appealing for the ideal candidates. How do you express the best parts of your business? If you click on a job ad, most of them are generic and most of them are exactly the same. The truth is it's probably what you're going to get at those companies. They're going to be a bit stale and boring. And you want to have a job ad that's going to accurately represent the good and the bad of your business so that you're getting the right people. A lot of job ads now as well, you can put in a video as well. Why not showcase the team talking about the role, showcase some of the cool things about your business as well. I also think that talking about the mission as a company is something that people are going to get really connected to as well. Like you're working with big clients, you've got a big goal for the business. You're not just another agency, you're not just another e-commerce business, but why are you different and, and what are some of the ways that you been recognized for your difference and then also Glassdoor as well is another thing that can be really important as well if your employees feel comfortable and I think you should encourage them to leave an honest review on Glassdoor where they can talk about their experiences you know they'll be forced to put in the both the good and the bad and so if you click on megaphone you'll see there's there's some people that say hey it's a bit of an intense environment hey you know it's growing fast and there's things that have slipped through and that will give people an honest representation of the bad but that'll also show all the positives as well you know the fact that they're learning that the fact that you know they love their role so i think all of those things and doing them really mindfully is going to approach getting the right candidates and you know something that i say to jun um running megaphone la or lauren or now deeper and oscar and um and megaphone au is you can't spend too much on sourcing applicants. You may as well get too many applicants, get 500, get a thousand. Yes, it takes a little bit longer to get through all those people. Don't turn off the job ad, get too many applicants in and really make sure you're combing through to try to find the top of the top. And that way you're gonna get top tier talent. Do you have much experience working with freelancers? Yeah. So my question would be for people who are in those early stages of their e-commerce journeys, what can be outsourced to freelancers at almost certainly a cheaper price than hiring someone in-house? And what would you deem as too valuable to assign to someone else? I don't know if there would be like a, a consistent rule that applies to every business. For us, we hire two customer service people overseas that are amazing, that have like three to five years. One of them's got three years, one of them's got five years experience, both working e-commerce, understand all of the platforms that we're using, picked it up really quickly. So 
it's not like we're lowering the quality of what we're getting, you know, and that question of saying deemed too valuable, there'd be an assumption that freelancers aren't necessarily as good. You know, it's not necessarily true, right? There's going to be some freelancers that are amazing, some that are terrible, depends on your process, depends on how much you're paying them, depends on their experience. And it depends on how you want to structure your business in terms of, you know, do you have an office? Are you totally remote culture? How much money do you want to invest in certain areas? How important is certain areas? So yeah, I wouldn't say that there's a hard and fast rule, but obviously freelancers are a really good way to minimize risk working with contractors. But, you know, I know a lot of other startups that end up just hiring people from universities that end up doing their social media or their customer service or other jobs as well. So there's, there's a lot of ways to kind of get a similar result. Have you found that there have been any freelancers you've hired that you have decided not to hire again? And what would be the reason for that? Yeah, I think, you know, for example, we were looking at hiring someone to do our our organic content for Sylvie. And so we hired who we thought was a really experienced illustrator, designer, worked with similar brands, seemed to have a good feel. But we just didn't feel like they were nailing the overall feel of our brand. It felt a little bit too over the top. You know, we've definitely hired both for you know, megaphone back in the day, we've hired developers that can help support different development tasks. And we've only found like a couple that have been like superstars and the superstars, you know, usually they're expensive. Usually they've worked on a lot of projects before. Sometimes they're even more expensive than local staff. But so developers can be a really challenging one as well. But yeah. A couple of the big sites for freelancers are Upwork and Fiverr. Are those what you use or do you have some other resources that you might be able to share with us? I like FreeUp, which is F-R-E-E-U-P. That's my preferred platform by a long way. I've consistently got decent, like both of our customer service people from FreeUp. I like their platform for paying people as well. It's just a better system. I think Upwork, Freelancer, Fiverr, there's just so much on there and there's so much riffraff and there's not a decent process in terms of sorting through who can get on the platform. Anyone can get on the platform. So I prefer to use a more expensive platform that has pre-vetted the people. Yeah. And I also like just the payment ways for free up. It's just automatically done time tracking. It's all automated in payments. I think it's better for long-term freelancer arrangements. Great. Has there ever been a situation where you've hired a freelancer and then moved them into a full-time position? Yeah, I mean, both of those customer service people are full-time. We're not paying them as a salaried employee like because they're not in Australia, but they're being paid full-time wages. So yeah, definitely. So you've spoken a fair bit about the kinds of people you've hired in, at Sylvie in the early days. I'd love to hear who was the first person you hired at Megaphone and why was that the case? First person I hired was Josh, Josh Lee. He was also just the first person I interviewed. I knew nothing about interviewing. <laughs> and I remember my joke was, I was more nervous for the interview than he was because I was trying to pretend like I was a legit company. So like (laughs) I wore a shirt to the interview because I wanted to look professional and like we were both nervous. So it was just really funny and awkward. And I remember hiring him was like the first time when I was like, okay, now I have to go to the office and I have to like, you know, start my day at 9am and I can't just sleep until 1030 and start whenever I want. So it was the time when it forced me to be a little bit more serious. But yeah, he was an account manager, although he kind of was, I think your first three, four roles often in startups are jacks of all trade, you know, like you know, I'm describing all of those roles to you for Sylvie, but realistically, a lot of those people are going to be doing other things as well. Like we all have a common goal and, you know, we'll have like a financial target that we're trying to hit as a company. We'll have maybe KPIs as a company and we're all just trying to support each other to get there and we're all empowered to get there. And it was similar with Megaphone back in the day. It's like, we need to keep clients. We need to get more clients. We need to deliver more value to our clients. 
it's like, if you can figure out a way to do a little more value to the clients, let me know and we'll figure it out. So that was kind of how it worked. And then eventually he started specifically talking to clients, which is maybe a scary point of the business because you're scared that they're not going to have the love and care that you've had for every client. And, you know, but eventually you kind of have to have that transition period if you do want to grow as a company and keep evolving as a company. I'm going to expand on a couple of things you mentioned in your answer. The first one when you were describing how you felt during that first interview where you put on a shirt and arguably more nervous than he was, it brought to mind for me the idea of making a good impression. It's equally important for the business as it is for the employee. So how do you ensure that you're positioning yourself and your business as well as possible so that the person interviewing actually wants to work with you? Yeah, so that's something that we think about a lot at Megaphone. And I think for one, it's like, you know, if you're genuinely a really great place to work, then that's going to come with people are going to refer other people. I think it's going to come across a little bit in your social media. We're, we're aware that our social media is, you know, for Megaphone is as much about getting new clients as it is about getting new staff members. It's about fostering, you know, a cool place to work with a lot of growth opportunities and all of that, those things, having all the perks. But then I also think it's in your job description, it's in your job title, it's in the video you use in your job ad as well, where you're trying to not try to appeal to every single person, but try to appeal to the, you know, if you're saying, hey, like, are you really growth oriented? Do you love listening to podcasts and reading books in your own time? Are you driven to try to become the best in everything that you do? You know, it's like, I'm speaking to some people are like, that's not me at all. But there's some people that go, well, that's clearly me. And you want people, you want to be speaking to a subset of people so that they get really excited about the opportunity as opposed to try to be a little bit for everyone and just get everyone. Just get. So I think that that's kind of some of the general rules. It actually surprises me that you just said some people will admit that they're not that person who's looking for growth. So on that note, do you find that there's a lot of people interviewing who tell you the things that you want to hear? And can you tell if they're genuine or not? Are there any giveaway traits? I mean, it's tricky, but yeah, I think it's like when you ask them, you know, I think everyone's going to be like, if I asked them, how does learning play a role in my life? Oh, I love learning. Learning's the best. I learn all the time. Like, cool. Can you name something that you've tried to learn in your own time over the last few years? Name me one book. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then if they're just like, oh, oh, and they're really stumped by it, it's like, oh, can you, you know, like you get a sense of, is this something that feels genuine or is this something that just they're saying, but yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, I've probably done, I reckon I've done 500 interviews, at least 200. And you just start to get a decent feel for, you start to see patterns as well. Every now and then you make a bad hire and you reflect on what didn't I see. And then when you see a similar pattern, you go, okay, maybe this person isn't as genuine or, you know, maybe in the reference checks, something will come up that will suggest that maybe this person, maybe you're missing picking up on something. But yeah, I don't know. I feel very confident like when I hire people now as well. I think I've hired so many people and I, you know, I get a sense of the people that are just genuinely really excited. You can get a sense of those people that are like that. And I prefer to hire too slow as the adage goes, hire slow, fire fast. It's like, make sure the person's a really good fit. Don't rush the hire. And if you, as soon as you find out someone's toxic or, you know, really just kind of speaking negatively about the company and trying to bring down everyone around them, then it might not be the right person for your company and, and maybe have that person move on as respectfully as you can so that you can keep the company as you know to your values as much as you can would you mind elaborating a little bit on the times that you've realized that you've made mistakes with hiring and how did you change your process in order to make sure that those didn't happen again 
I think at the end of the day, you're never going to have 100% accuracy on anything that you do. You know, I think some of the things that we've discussed, like sometimes we're like, oh, this person's got a really impressive resume. They've worked at like this business that we perceive to be doing well. Let's get them in because, you know, they've already worked on big campaigns and they'll be able to come in. And then they come in and maybe they don't perform. Maybe they don't want to listen to you or your culture. Maybe they try to tell everyone how it's done at their other agency. Maybe, I don't know, they have some bad attitudes in terms of coming on time. And, you know, so there's just little things where you're like, okay, well, they had the skills, but they didn't really have the attitude. Another thing is we've just had some people that maybe the role wasn't right for them. I mean, I guess that's happened a handful of times where it's like the role, for example, an account manager role, it can be quite technical. It can be analytical. It can be creative. And so we didn't have enough in the hiring process to really test for those things. But when we started adding those into the testing process, our accuracy went up because some people would get to the role and just get so overwhelmed by the numbers and so overwhelmed by the back end of Facebook. And that's fair enough. It's not for everyone, but we didn't do a good enough job from our end to properly figure out if they were going to be someone that was going to enjoy that aspect of the role or not and you know sometimes we can reposition them into a role that makes more sense for them sometimes it's just not a fit for some aspects of the role i'd love to get your thoughts on the training process at megaphone you've created quite a thorough training platform that takes roughly a month to complete what value do you put on the importance of training and is it more so structured or do you believe that the best way to train is to learn on the job and learn through doing I mean, I think it depends on the person, depends on the job. So, okay. So let's say the next person you hire for Sylvie, what would be your training process for them? We've got a videographer starting in two weeks. And so we'll probably pair him up with our media buying person. We'll probably give him like a few different shoots to try to replicate as close as possible. We'll give him access to some of the trainings that we think are the most relevant to him. We'll probably give him 50 different brands to like follow and start highlighting different videos. Probably have like a call with him every couple of days to check out. We're running this totally remotely, which has its own challenges as well but that's probably going to be our process checking in and then just getting feedback from him to figure out where we can be more supportive brand manager probably similar process operations person maybe a little bit more hands-on in terms of just like looking at how we're doing our systems looking at different softwares and working with them but it's going to be relatively ad hoc and hands-off because we're a small company and we're moving fast you know i'm running megaphone and this company ben's my business partners in columbia so i don't know if we have whereas megaphone you're coming into a company with 90 people there's a lot of structure because there's the design team and the design team needs to brief the account management and the account management team has to brief the design team properly and there's an onboarding process when you get someone from a new client and there's uh, a process to make sure you're billing people correctly so it's like it's way less ad hoc because the systems have had to evolve to support that many people so that there's consistency and there also has to be consistency in the way that we're doing things because when people come to megaphone they want they demand a level of, of service that they've got from you know past account managers or so our process has to be a little bit more regimented to make sure that people are fitting into the system. There's still room for creativity, but the process is going to be a little bit more structured. Megaphone's currently in-house for the majority of people. Some of the Megaphone LA team are remote, but it's majority in-house. As for Sylvie, as you've just mentioned, you guys are all over the place. So having the knowledge of both sides of the coin, what do you see as being the pros and cons for an e-commerce business or any business at all with being remote? And if you were to start up another business tomorrow, how would you do it? Yeah, my personal belief is working together makes people work smarter and more effectively and stronger bonds with the people around them. So that's the preferred solution. The negative is you're limiting your talent pool to one location. And yeah, you're limiting your talent pool to one location. And maybe there are some subset of the the workforce that doesn't want to work in a location or they want to be remote. So I think that like 
at Megaphone, people are allowed to work one day at home. I think that that's a good kind of solution where you still get some of that freedom of working one day a week at home, but you still get all of the connection. And I could see what happened with Megaphone just in terms of people's happiness at Megaphone when they're not coming to the office. You know, I'd say that that was the most challenging time for some staff members in terms of just finding meaning in their work, feeling like they were growing. I think that that was, yeah, the most challenging time for people within the company. And I think it was just that disconnection that they were feeling. Obviously, COVID was challenging for a lot of people. But yeah, I think you can do 90%, 80% remote. Just sometimes there's some little things that can't move quite as well. But yeah, it does depend on the people that you're hiring, does depend on the roles, of course, with all those things. Yeah. Yeah, and, and as your ratio from in-house to remote changes, so will the the roles and the actions that you take in-house. For example, we've got a studio here at Megaphone. That's not something you could do if you're a remote team and you'd have to outsource. So I guess there's always going to be a balance between those two things. You've spoken about the early stages of both of your companies at the moment. If you were to start another company tomorrow, do you think that you would go through the same hiring process that you did or would you hire a new role, a different role for your new company? And the company is another e-commerce. Let's say your new company is Sylvie 2.0 and you sell magic carpets and yep. you're starting tomorrow. Who would be the first person you would hire? Yeah, I mean, I'll do exactly what we're doing right now. I mean, we've only hired three people so far. The other three are two to get started. But yeah, I would definitely prioritize performance. I feel like I'm saying this to every question that you're saying, but it's, <laughs> the answer is it depends because for Sylvie 2.0, if it's me and Ben running the company, then, but it's a different hire if it's you're running the company or if it's Lauren running the company, because Lauren's got different skill sets. You've got different skill sets. Me and Ben have different skill sets. So we're hiring to, I mean, maybe this is the answer, the general answer. I think answer. that is the answer. Yep. Yeah. But so the question is if it's a generic person, but you're hiring to maximize the opportunity of what you see in front of you and also to be relevant to either your current skill sets that you can amplify through someone or your weaknesses that you can get support with someone and so i think that there isn't a general rule but you need to analyze each opportunity specifically right and for this new company we might find that the marketing channel that's most effective is seo and we want to get a copywriter so or we might find out that we're releasing 10 products every week and we need to get a product developer and product designer or you see what i'm saying so yeah, every, I, I yeah, yeah. Do. yeah so i don't think thinking about it as a general rule of like oh the first hire i know some people say that they go oh as an e-commerce business what's the first hire and they're like you need to get an operations manager it's like that there's no generic answer that can support every single question because there's so many factors at play but you need to know what are the factors at play and those are some of the many factors at play yeah absolutely and i think that's actually a really great answer and thanks for diving into that a little bit more is there a way that you can assess your own skills and your own qualities analytically and without bias and then would that help you to find that next person is there some sort of process that you would go through I think you just need to look at it as an opportunity analysis. So it's not it's not like a skill. It's not like you're just hiring to your weaknesses because sometimes you're hiring to your strengths. If you know me and Ben are really good at Facebook ads and marketing, so we hired another person to help Facebook ads and marketing because we already know exactly what we need to do. So we just need people to do it more. Whereas another person that might do it might hire an agency. They don't need that person, but they need someone to help them with logistics because, or they need to get a bookkeeper and an, or they need to get, you, you see what I'm saying? So yeah, I think that the best way to think about it is every scenario, look at it individually and just looking at what you're trying to optimize for, look at your goals and try to figure out the fastest way to get there. That's a great answer. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs would have that assumption that there is a role that you need to hire first and there is a role that you need to hire second. So to have you dive into those thoughts and explain it, I personally found that really beneficial. I'm sure a lot of other people will too. 
Okay, so let's move on to a slightly different topic. And I want to understand how you deal with salary. Because if you're in the early stages of a startup, obviously you're counting your pennies and, and trying to bootstrap things as much as you can. So how do you find the balance between a salary that's both fair and motivating and also keeping some change in the back pocket to fund every other aspect of the business? Yeah, I think a few things. One is like you can look at Glassdoor and just type in the product, I mean, the position and try to figure out what is an average salary for that position. You can go and seek and look at average salaries as well. So you can make sure that you're compensating on, you know, the middle to upper end of your salary range. I think you also need to be mindful of what you're giving into the role. If you're hiring someone with no relevant experience and you're giving them a few months of training, then they're probably not going to get the same salary as a person that has five years of relevant experience, also a culture fit and can hit the ground running as well that person's obviously going to be a lot more expensive. I think with salary as well, I think you need, you want to feel like you're fairly or financially compensated, but I think more important for employees, or at least in an early stage startup that you want to find is people that are really connected to the mission. And so you want people to be fairly compensated, but the more important thing that you want is people to be really connected to the overall mission of the business. I think that fundamentally, every single person can always get a more you know, a higher paying role somewhere, right? There's, you know, there's some boring job that they can do where they can get more money. But there are some people that are 100% focused financially and those people probably are going to be doing something very different. But those people that are growth orientated, mission orientated, they want to have fun, they want to be a part of a culture, they want to be learning, then I think that just you want the salary to match a fair compensation relative to that. You want to make sure all those other areas are really strongly there so that they feel really excited about that opportunity. You've mentioned culture a few times, so I'd love to unpack that a little bit. I know at Megaphone, you take culture very seriously and you're doing your best to ensure that everyone really enjoys being here. The motive of the company is to be the best marketing agency and the best place to work. So how do you ensure that as your business grows, that you maintain that culture with more people coming on board, with more personalities and more responsibility? It's a challenging thing. It's something that we think about and we take seriously. I think the challenge that we've found is the bigger that we've got, there's all of these little like groups of people that have become really close friends. And then there's a high volume of new people. And how do we get them to integrate with all these people? We now work in this big open space. We used to work in small spaces where you feel a little bit more intimate. So I think that culture is a lot of things, right? Culture is just how much do people care about learning within their business? Like, I think there was a quote that I once read, which is like, culture is what people do when no one's around, like watching them, right? Do they actually follow, you know, do they want to be authentic? Do they want to have open communication? Do they want to innovate? Like if no one's around that's monitoring them and they know it's not correlated to their performance review, are they still going to be innovating and driving their own path and having fun and being efficient, like all of our corporate values? So I think that that's an element of it. But yeah, in terms of just like team integration, that's something that we're constantly thinking about so as you'd be aware we're doing things like the movie night the questions games for a new team and we're trying to do that as a regular basis the pool tournament we're trying to figure out ways where people can interact with new people and have some level of deeper conversation other than just a passing by hello that will create a, a meaningful connection the other thing is also moving people around into new pods so that you get to interact with new people, moving your desks around so that you interact with new people, different lunches and things like that. The goal is how can you create a deeper connection so that you know, when I come by and chat to you, I'm like, oh, this is Evan from the video team. Or I'm like, no, this is Evan that likes to go hiking, that listens to Sugatan on the weekend, that's interested in doing his own dropshipping business. Like, how do we build the relationship where you go deeper than just the basics of someone? And that's going to formulate a real connection. And then when we're working on an interesting project, you're going to say, hey, I wanted to chat to you about this and be a lot more comfortable. It's going to create that cross-pollination of ideas. So I think that that's something that we're thinking about and we think about in a lot of little ways. But yeah, I think some of the other ways 
ways and the bigger ways is more like, you know, we just did that leadership training. We're doing the workshops. We do the Sylvie workshop. We do individual workshops. We do that the learn day where everyone breaks off into groups and presents ideas. So we're thinking of like structured ways that correlate to our core values that build it into our culture as well. And being on the other end of that, I can say that I've found it really beneficial. I'm sure a lot of other people have too, but that goes hand in hand with the culture here at Megaphone. What about businesses who are in a totally different industry and who are perhaps working remotely with their teams as well? Is culture as important in your opinion for those other businesses? Definitely. And you just need to be mindful of creating the culture that's relevant for your business. So Megaphone USA, 15 employees all around North America uh, and a few people in Australia as well. So we have like open video work zones where you can just drop in and you drop on your video and you can chat to people while you're working for one hour a day. Or it might be like a morning coffee where people have a coffee. It might be like daily check-ins. We do like some online games where people play. We do like online escape rooms. And as it gets bigger, we need to figure out new ways to create those connections. But we need those connections to be real that you really are enjoying working with the people that you are in and and everyone's bouncing off each other and i think that to jun's credit who's running the us team he's done a really good job and i've spoken to people and they've independently said hey just letting you know i'm loving my role at megaphone even though they've not met one other person in real life so there are other ways to build that in you know and now that's something that we're thinking about with sylvia as well and so i think with sylvia it's like what is our unifying mission that we're all really passionate about as well because a mission isn't hey let's get to 100 million dollars of sales a year like that's not an inspiring mission like it's kind of cool to be a big company but it's like that's not something where it's like oh today's a really hard day do i want to get up just to work for this you know we're already at five million do we want to get to 10 million or whatever it's a bit it's a bit arbitrary but a mission is like creating the best in class products where people are super passionate about every single product they have from the first time they see it on instagram to the time they receive it to the customer service that they receive then so that every person when we do would you recommend this to a friend our average score is nine and we get a million customers okay now we've got like this inspiring vision where it's like we're going to create this brand that just excels how people feel about other products and they're super excited about it. So we're still figuring out what that is, but building cultures and passion and vision around that and figuring out how we can support people in the ways that they want to be supported. Yeah, so I don't know. I just went on a little bit of a rant. But, <laughs> no, it's all yeah. right. I think from my point of view, to sum that up, if you can create the environment where employees want to come to work and feel motivated to perform, then that motivation and that positivity would then translate to the customer through all the ads you put out, through the products and things like that. Is that right? Totally. And it's also just going to translate into how they feel day-to-day at their job, how they connect to the people around them, how they communicate, how they tackle on new tasks, you know, how they feel fulfilled from their work and all those other areas which are, you know, around this idea of culture. Yep. Awesome. So you've said you've done maybe 500 interviews over the journey. I can only imagine how many resumes you've had to read. Have you ever found something, and I'm sure the answer is yes, but I'd like to know a little bit more, that is an immediate red flag that you see on a resume or in a cover letter that just screams no? Yeah, I mean, you know, the standard things of like formatting it incorrectly, not sending it to the right address or, you know, having typos and things like that. I never good they don't shine like they don't show an area of due diligence but for me personally i'm not too concerned about those things i know other people probably internally will be like oh that's that's a red flag i'm pretty open although that is usually not a good sign but i think that there's more like things that i'm looking for than things that i'm not looking for you know my goal is not like there are no until there are yes as opposed to that there are yes until there are no because if we're getting a thousand applications i'm not like cool i'm gonna give a phone call to every single person it's i'm not trying to rule out people i'm trying to find people to put in and so coming up from that lens, I'm trying to find people that 
have done some research on the company, wrote a cover letter that addresses the com- the role and the company as opposed to just only talking about themselves, you know, has an understanding of our corporate values and represented that on the resume, did something to stand out, you know, created an ad, created, they just did something interesting to stand out. Because when we're getting, you know, sometimes we do get a thousand resumes a month. What are the people doing that are actually standing out that shows that they are really connected, you know, writing a good LinkedIn message? What are they doing to show that they genuinely are excited about the opportunity and understand the company, you know, because those people, when they get here they're going to be excited they're going to be passionate and you know that's what that's what i'm looking for i think it does come down to just doing that little bit of extra research at the beginning the linkedin message for example that i sent you was based off listening to you on a podcast and that's something that i heard you say that you used to do back in the early days you'd reach out to people on linkedin who you felt motivated by or who you wanted to connect with so just finding a way to take a page out of your book is is the way i went about it the way to get in the door is to go over and above because if you are getting thousands of applications, the cream of the crop has to show themselves one way or another. 100%, yeah. So Max, thanks so much for all of your insights throughout the episode. I've learned a lot and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, both people running businesses and people looking to find a job somewhere have hopefully taken some value as well. As usual, just want to finish off with some rapid fire questions. Keep these as short as and as sweet as possible. Yes or no or one word answers. Ready to rock? Let's do it. Would you ever hire someone without a face-to-face or online interview? Without an online? No, at least do an online. All right, moving on. What is the single most important role to hire within the first year of a new business? I guess we've discussed this. I think I know the answer to this one. Depends. (laughs) It depends, absolutely. Would you ever start a new business with a best friend or a partner? Well, Sylvie is with a business partner and he was a friend beforehand, so technically, yes. And I've been wanting to ask you this question all day. Is it true you once hired a personal chef? I did. I did see that on your... Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Do you already know the story? Uh, I know vaguely. My assumption would be that you want to focus your time on things that are more important to you and get the most out of every day. Yeah. So there's two prongs to this story. The first is about six years ago. I'm like obsessively obsessed with trying to optimize my time like to a weird level where I I cut my own hair because I didn't like the wait time of going to the hairdresser and (laughs) I buy socks that can dry really fast so I don't have to hang them up. Like I just, I'm so consciously thinking about everything and I basically don't eat meals that can be prepared in more than two minutes like it has to be under two minutes for whatever reason I just set myself that arbitrary goal and then on that I had this idea that if I get someone to cook all this really healthy food then I'm gonna have all this healthy food in their fridge and that's gonna allow me to eat really healthy optimize time spend more time on business reading books whatever else that I want to do so I did hire my friend's younger brother who did become a chef for like four weeks but what I found was I just started overeating food so the idea I ended up like putting on weight because I just had all these tasty food in my fridge and I was just like slamming it so it didn't really make sense but funnily enough that guy was the second person that I hired at Megaphone and he worked at Megaphone for four years there you go so it's always who you know isn't it exactly and it's also like i think the 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 moral of that story in some sense is if you take any job do it really well and that's what i was impressed by with him it was such a silly job you know what i mean and he'd never done really cooking before but he took it so seriously and it just showed his personality and his attitude and approach to life and i'm like if he takes this job so seriously if he comes work for megaphone i know that he'll do really well but yeah, now these days again, I found someone on Airtasker and she charges like 10 bucks a meal or 15 bucks a meal, cooks me all this healthy food. I've kind of figured out a system where, you know, I've got all these kale salads and like all this like vegan healthy food. If I didn't do this, I would just end up eating cereal all day. So it forces me to eat really healthy. It's in the fridge. I haven't been overindulgent with the food. So I have found a system that 
ticks all the boxes and it's been really effective. That's great. Thanks so much for sharing that personal insight. Definitely a quirky story. Do you think that that applies to people who are looking to to free up a little bit more time? Could they hire virtual assistants or personal assistants? Yeah, I think so. I think like there's a hierarchy of opportunity. And so like, you know, we only recently got an office admin or a couple office admin at Megaphone. And so until then, you know, for the first 20 staff, like I'd, I'd be the one cleaning the office and I mean, we still had cleaners. I'd like tidy up and I'd build the desk and I'd, and I'd set up the computers when there would be a new employee. It didn't make sense to do it because there wasn't quite enough workload there. And I remember even hiring the office admin people and I'm like, is there really enough office admin work? Like what else is there to do? Like we're trying to like think through what do they do? And they're so busy. They, I mean, you see them around Liz and Sarah. They're oh, always, absolutely. I mean, there's a million things that they're doing and like almost so much so that we could hire another. So yeah, I think that there's a, there's a hierarchy right like it wouldn't have made sense to whatever get the office admin person when there's only one task a week but i think that for me that's i guess i've got megaphone and sylvie and they take up a lot of mental time and i'm always reading a business book and i'm always you know speaking to someone about business and just almost just the mental time it's not even like the actual tangible time saving the mental time like have you noticed that i wear the same clothes every day to work more or less like i just don't like to think about those things so that way like my brain can just be very focused on okay cool i'm going wednesday i'm going to megaphone this is what i wear this is what i eat and then i can just focus yeah yeah, great. Well, we'll definitely do another episode down the line regarding productivity and hacking your day-to-day life, which I'm very much looking forward to as I drink my mushroom tea. Love it. <laughs> but yeah, once again, thanks for joining us again today, Max. Is there, are there any other final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners who would be in the early stages of their e-commerce business looking to scale to the next level, particularly regarding people and hiring or just any other thoughts that you might be having? Yeah, I think I had fears around hiring. And I think that when you're a small stage business, you're very conscious of every dollar going out of the business and it's really expensive. And, you know, we're hiring people at Sylvie that are getting paid more than me and Ben. And we're never going to probably take out much of a salary from Sylvie. And so it's like, it's a bit scary to hire, but... When you think about the value that good people can create for the company, it's so exponential. And so I would say like really just take a chance. If you find someone that's going to be good, that connects to your mission of what you're doing and you get along with well, then there's so much opportunity. And even if you're unsure of the role, just good people will figure out a way to add value. Be clear on what you're trying to achieve as a company. Be clear on what are their short-term and long-term goals and give them space to just be awesome. Highly recommend it. Terrific. And if anyone wants to send you some messages or get in contact, how would they do that? Instagram at Max Erden, LinkedIn, Max Erden. Perfect. Thanks so much, Max. And thanks to everyone for listening. Enjoy the week and we'll see you next time. Thanks everyone. Bye. Have a good day. Thanks for tuning into the Megaminds podcast. To stay up to date with the latest e-commerce trends, scaling hacks and marketing techniques, join us on our Facebook community, Megaminds. If you're looking to scale your own e-commerce business, we at Megaphone would love to help. Get in touch for a free strategy session.